Heshla and Haley for sharing. Uh, one of the, the, the great things that we get to do in these, these testimonies is, I mean, in the, in the pictures that you see, um, in the videos and the, the slideshow, you get to um, see all the things that we did in, in Ecuador and all the things that the Lord allowed us to experience. But um, in these testimonies, you hear the work of God, not through us, but, but in us. And I think that's part of the joy. Um, that's much of the joy and much of the blessing as you all have been praying for the team that's gone. And so um, as we still, we still have maybe half of our Ecuador testimonies um, yet to be shared, um, pray that, I pray that as you hear these testimonies that you would be inspired to know that it's not just through me God is working, but in me God works when I go um, to the mission field and, and that the Lord would, would put burden in our hearts and, and your heart, um, conviction, and, and to say, hey, you know what, um, I'm going to make a decision to, to go his way um, maybe next year, um, or as soon as the Lord God would, would, would allow me to go, that we would put that desire there, um, and God will honor that desire, I know, and he will take us to places where um, he can do his work in us. So um, thanks, y'all, for sharing. I think <clears throat> a lot of us have probably heard um, the name Kenneth Bay by now. Does anyone recognize that name, Kenneth Bay? Okay, he's a Korean-American Christian, just like us, um, from Seattle, Washington. Uh, he lived in, or he did a lot of work. He had a business in China. Basically, what his, his business did um, is it would, uh, he ran a, a tour business. So he was a tour guide, and he brought people from China into uh, North Korea, a city called Rajin. And he would do this countless times. Just to, He wanted to show people the, the unadulterated beauty, he said, of North Korea. This beautiful country that's just so much untapped resources. He wanted to show people but ultimately because his heart bled for North Korea. And he longed to see that country come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is what he's doing. Rajin, I don't know if this sounds familiar to you guys, but um, a lot of us have been to Rajin. Um, guys like Howard Kim, Kenny Cook, Joyce, um, Olivia, Paul Bear, uh, myself. So a bunch of us have, have been to Rajin. It's, I mean, uh, it's a place that our senior pastor goes all the time. It's not like there's anything wild about that place, but Kenneth had gone on this trip 15 times before about um, taking people in and out, no problem, but last November he was arrested by the North Korean government, and he was sentenced to 15 years of hard labor in one of their prison camps. Why? Again, he wasn't doing anything crazy, wasn't doing anything wild, he was just taking a group of people into North Korea, but what apparently had happened, according to uh, One Day's Wages blog, what happened was uh, while he was in America, he would go to different churches and he would preach about his heart for North Korea, how he longed for North Korea to come to know Jesus Christ, to bow their knee um, at the King of Kings, to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And somehow a video of this got to in the hands of North Koreans and they saw that. And so that, that last November when he walked in, they captured him, they arrested him. His physical health has deteriorated um, his diabetes are just acting up. He's having vision issues, back issues, all kinds of stuff. And he's uh, uh, just a, a shell of the man that he used to be. And he's pleading for not only the Christian community, but also for the United States government in order to do something about it. And here's what, you know, as we, we, we finish up First Peter today, a lot of us may be thinking, hey, you know what, this talk of, of persecution, all this stuff that, that Peter's talking about, that you're talking about, that DL you're talking about, um, is so foreign to us. It has nothing to do with our lives. And I beg to differ. Did you know that in this year, right now, 2013, there's more persecuted Christians in the world than there have been at any point in the history of the world? Right, what Peter's writing could not be more timely to us. 
and could not be more relevant to us. And as we think, I'm not going through this right now. The reason why we talk about these things is because we so we can be prepared for when that time comes. As Seminole County, you high school students, middle school students, start school tomorrow, and you seek to take what God's done in you this summer and seek to stand for your faith, there will be persecution that comes. And I pray that the Spirit of God at that time will remind you of things that you've learned, that you'll go back to First Peter and you'll read these things that as Orange County starts next week, as our college students start, and they go into a world that attacks them and attacks the faith and the life of Christ in them. As we go into our workplaces, into our businesses, and we try to stand for Christ and all that, uh, that he's called us to do and to be, as we face opposition simply because, not because he's doing anything crazy or wild, but simply because we bear the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that these words would encourage us, would pour courage, pour strength into us in order that we could know that it's not outside of the realm of God, it's not outside the will of God, it's not outside the sovereignty of God. In fact, he said in his word that this is what would happen and that we would embrace this for what it is that God always turns persecution into his mission. And so as we look at the last five verses in 1 Peter, as we close out our study in A Christian's Guide to a Strange and Foreign Galaxy, I just want to read closing words from Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through 14. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 through 14. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who's in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is God's word. How you end a letter makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Have you, you ever gotten a letter? You tend to dissect the last parts of that letter, don't you? When you get a letter from someone of the opposite gender, you're a guy, you get a letter from a girl. What is she, why does she say XOXO? That means hugs and kisses, doesn't it? What does that mean? Hmm. Or, on the other hand, gosh, why did she say just your sister in Christ? <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, there's no chance. Like, we're just brother and sister, that's it? What does he mean by that? How we end the letter makes all the difference in the world. And so what is Peter saying as he ends this letter? Three things. Three things. He tells us in, this, in his admittedly short letter, just a short letter, briefly, he says, I've written you briefly to encourage you to stand firm. And here's what he's saying. As you go into the world, I want to leave you with these words that will help you to stand firm in the midst of persecution. How can you stand, come what may, in good times and hard, whatever might happen in this life as well as um, you know, in the present as well as in the future? How can we stand? And so he gives three thoughts, and I'm pretty sure as you hear these thoughts, you'll be like, dude, you've talked about this already. Yeah, in a, in a sense it is. Every good writer, every good piece of, 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 of writing begins by telling them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. And so Peter's not going to say anything new here. 
But hopefully, as we hear it for one last time, it will stir up some nuances within us that will help us to really find strength and courage to stand. Here's the first thing. The God of all grace stands behind you in persecution. The God of all grace. Verse 10. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you. We talked a little bit about this verse last week. But what does it mean, the God of all grace? Here's what, here's what grace means. Someone, you, ask, you talk about grace. Grace, basically, it means that we get something that we don't deserve. We understand this in, in, in life. You get, um, you were not well-behaved, but you get the ice cream cone anyways. Or you consider yourself to be not a very nice person, but you ended up marrying an amazing person. Right? That's grace. You got what you did not deserve. Someone has said that in a biblical sense, grace, some wise, sage person made this acrostic. He was probably a poet or she was a poet. Grace, if you take the letters of the word for grace, it stands for God's riches. Okay, God's riches. We have all of God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, so we get all of this that we don't deserve. Why? Because Jesus has paid for it on our behalf. We get something that we don't deserve. We get something that Jesus deserved and he gives it to us. This is grace. We understand grace typically... In this one sense, as Christians, we think of grace as saving grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Okay, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Okay, if I was lost, but now I'm found, it's talking about salvation. I was blind, but now I see. Open the eyes of my heart. I can't do this on my own. This has to be done for me when the eyes of my heart are ripped open, the blinders are taken off, and I can see that which I couldn't see before. This is grace in the saving sense. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is saving Grace. And a lot of times when we hear the word grace, we're thinking, that's the only grace I get in this life. I get grace that saves me, that enters me. It's the A of the Christian life alphabet, right? It's what gets me into that place. But here he says, look, the God of all grace. What does that mean? When you jump to the second verse of amazing grace, you hear, um, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What does that mean? He's saying there's another kind of grace that God gives to us. It's not saving grace, but it's a sustaining grace. But all the grace is the same. It all flows from Calvary. Right? It's all the same grace, but it's appropriated at different times in our lives. There's a saving grace, and then there's a sustaining grace. And he's saying the God of all grace, the grace that's the A, and then the grace that's the B to Z, and the rest of the alphabet, all grace, the God of all that, stands behind you, with you, alongside of you, when you go through persecution. This is the grace that Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians. I've mentioned this a lot. But he says, my grace is enough for you. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. This is Paul had this thorn in the flesh. He pleaded three times, God, please take it away. He said, I'm not going to take it away. Why? Because I want you to know the power of sustaining grace in your life. 
That grace is going to sustain you. That same grace that saved you, that same operation of grace is going to sustain you until you see Jesus face to face. It's not grace saves me and then I'm on my own to figure it out until I get to heaven. It's not grace saves you and then it's just the A, B, C and then the, the, the D to Z. You've got to, it's all up to you. It's not. He's saying all of that from the beginning to the end is all covered in the grace of God. That grace that sustains you has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ as well. Not just the grace that saves you, but the grace that sustains you until you get home. All that flows freely uh, from the gift of God that is in Christ Jesus by grace, right? That's all sustaining grace. Here's what sustaining grace does not mean. It does not mean that I'm saved now, therefore I'm not going to experience any hardship in life. Here's how how John Piper said, here's a a poem that, a four-line poem that he wrote about sustaining grace. He said, it's not grace to bar what is not bliss, nor flight from all distress, but this, the grace that orders our trouble and pain, and then in the darkness is there to sustain. Sometimes we think if I'm saved by the grace of God, then there will be no persecution, no hardship, no struggle, no challenge, no obstacles, no distractions, no disturbance for me. And he's saying, that's not what it is. No, that's not what it is. And the united witness of the pages of Scripture tell us that that's not what saving grace, sustaining grace is. It says that grace may oftentimes throw us in the midst of persecution. But there in the midst of that, strengthens us, fuels us, encourages us, pours into us in order that we might stand strong in a way that we couldn't have experienced before. See, and he goes on and he talks about this fourfold thing that he will do. He will restore, make you strong, make you firm, make you steadfast. This idea of restore means, the original language means that you take a net that's broken, like a fishing net that's broken, and then you fix it and you make it right. In the midst of persecution, the grace of God to sustain us is doing this thing. It's taking the broken pieces of our lives and he's mending it together in order that we might be useful for his greater purposes. You take a broken net, you try and catch fish, you might do pretty well. But you throw persecution into that and you mend that net together and you will catch a whole lot more fish of men for God than you could do before. This is part of God's sustaining grace. Then he goes on, he says, it will make you strong. Okay, the word for make you strong, it means that he will make you stronger than steel could ever be. Yesterday I was uh, hanging out in my office and then our, our praise team, um, John and Sung and Brian and Paul and Gooney came into my office and um, we're just kind of hanging around and they're showing me these, these videos of Sung hard at work and, and there's this one video of uh, one of his friends and he's got a, a coil of metal and he's lighting it on fire. And it's just like all kinds of crazy things. And I'm not sure why they, they, they were doing that. But um, they said, hey, you know what they're doing? This is what he's doing. It's a process called annealing. I said, annealing? What's that? And they said, it's when you light uh, metal on fire and it gets stronger. And I thought to myself, well, that's probably why they popped into my office yesterday. To show us that in our persecution, this is what God is doing to us. And he's in the fire, he's making us stronger than we could have ever been before. You that when you go into your school and people start making fun of you, instead of shying away from that, 
And you think in your mind, God is restoring me like a broken net is made well. He's making me stronger than, uh, than silver could ever have been before. Making me strong. He's the annealer of my faith. And then it says he will make you firm. The, the word here, kind of like what we, what we talk about in, in workout circles. He's cutting away the excess weight from us, the baggage from us, in order that we might be tight to do the work of God. Right, cutting away the excess, right, the sin, the temptation, the distractions, all of these things in order that we could be lean so that we could run the race even more efficiently for Christ. And then he says he will make you steadfast. It means that he's deepening the foundation of your faith in order that you could stand in the midst of the winds and the waves of life. And this is the God of all grace. I want, <laughs> I want my faith to be restored. I want my faith to be strong. I want it to be firm. I want it to be steadfast. Don't you? Hey, don't you want to unshakable in the midst, in death, in life, I'm confident and covered by the power of your great love. Don't you want to be unshakable in death and in life? Hey, don't you want to be more effective if, if today I, I, I preach the gospel on my campus and, and five people came to Christ? Don't you want it to be so that 15 people could come to know Jesus, that your net could become stronger? We want all of these things. And Peter's saying, here's how you can have that. Just follow the will of God. And if it leads you into persecution, then this is what God is doing in you. Man, that's fuel for the journey. That's strength. That's pouring courage into us. And that's the first thing that he promises as he ends this letter. The God of all grace stands behind you in your persecution. Here's the second thing. Stand in what Christ has done for you, not in what you can do for Christ. They stand in what Christ has done for you. So he talks about the God of all grace. Um, and then he says in verse 12, um, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. How do you stand? How do you stand this Christian life? How do you stand fast? You have to stand on the true grace of God. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground, it's sinking sand. You ever been in quicksand before? <laughs> How many have ever been in quicksand before? I was for a brief moment. Joseph was. I was with him in quicksand. This is fun. So a couple years ago, we were walking around in Ecuador. We were walking actually in places where um, no one else on our team has ever been before. We were in like some weird, weird places that you'd find maybe on Discovery Channel or Nature Channel or whatever it is. So we're out there, and we see some crazy foliage, crazy wildlife. There's this one plant. Um, I forget. I don't know what it's called. They were telling us in Spanish, but they said it so quickly I didn't get it. But there's this plant, right? When you touch it, the plant is like, like this. You touch it, the plant, it just dies and goes to sleep. It's amazing. And then after a while, when you're not looking, it comes back up. It's crazy, 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 right? Ask Pastor Henry about it later. You touch it. And so we, here, here's our great plan. We're going to videotape it and say, in the name of Jesus, die. And then psh, it would die. <laughs> and then in the name of Jesus, rise back to life. And they would rise back up. But my, bat, my uh, phone ran out of battery. I was like, ah, that was like perfect moment. So we're seeing all of these crazy things. And one of the things that we saw, uh, we were walking on this like river area. Uh, Joseph was standing in sand. And he's like, whoa, 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 I'm falling. <laughs> And he tried to get out, and he couldn't get out. And I thought this was like the funniest thing. He's like sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And he's like, oh, it's, you know, he's like, he's like nervous, but at the same time he's smiling. He's always smiling. So I don't know if I should help him or not. 
He's like, deal, it's quicksand, it's quicksand, I'm sinking. And he's trying to get out, he's trying to get out, and he can't. And the more he works at it, the deeper he's getting. And the only thing that can get him out is if he, he called my name, reached out his hand. The only thing that can happen is if he realized that I can't do anything about it. I need someone to come and rescue me. And so I was laughing still because I didn't think it was dangerous. I didn't think he was going to drown in quicksand. And so I pulled him out and then he was like, had all this like sand up into here and we're laughing about it later. But I think in this life, a lot of us put our hope in sinking sand. And in the midst of persecution, we cannot stand firm because we're not standing on Christ, the solid rock, and on the true grace that he talks about. Look, if there's true grace, then it must mean that there's something like false grace. Here's false grace. Jude, the last uh, book before Revelation, Jude talks about false grace, where people see the grace of God. Right? God's riches at Christ's expense. I have all this stuff. I have his forgiveness. I didn't have to do anything but believe. That's all I have to do. I just have to trust that it's mine and it's mine. All of God's riches at Christ's expense. Here's false grace. When we take that and we use it, he says in Jude 4, as a license to sin. I know God's going to forgive me. So without thinking, I'm just going to go and I'm going to sin. Or I know God's going to forgive me. And so in this moment, I could either flee sin or feed sin. I know I've got this choice in my mind. And I think to myself, because of the grace of God that forgives me, I'll just go ahead and sin. And then I'll repent of it. I'll confess it later. We do this often, don't we? I mean, we all do. I, I, I do this. He's saying, if you, don't, if you do this, in that moment that you do that, you have forgotten the true nature of grace. Because you think about this in every other relationship. Okay, you're, you're dating a girl. You're dating a guy. right? For those of you on this side, it's not going to happen until you're like 20-something. Okay? But you're dating this guy. You're dating this girl. Right? Not that it couldn't happen, but you shouldn't want it to happen because you're in love with Jesus. Anyway, so you're dating this person. And they say, you know what? Whatever you say, whatever you do, no matter what, I'll always love you. Here's my heart. Here's my heart. Take it. It's, it's all for you. You're like, wow, he loves me so much. She loves me so much. And you're so smitten by that love. And because they said to you, no matter what you do, I'll always love you. So you say, okay, great. I'm going to go to the movie with this other guy. Or I'm going to go on this date with this other girl. I'm going to go on another date with them. I'm going to go on another date with them. And when they find out, I'm going to say, but you said you'll always love me. We understand how that makes no sense in a relationship. Right? Your mom says to you, hey, you know what? No matter what you do, I'll always love you. You're like, really? Great. And so you go out and you make a poster of your mom and you start throwing darts at it. Right? Why? Oh, it's just for fun. You'll always love me. Then you don't understand the love of your mother. And you don't understand the love of your significant other. And we don't understand the grace of God. If we take the grace of God and use that as a license for sin. And I always shouldn't do this, but no one will ever find out. And God will just forgive me anyway. Because if that's us, if that's your theology, if that's my theology, then when persecution comes, of course I'm not going to stand up. Of course I'm not going to stand firm. That's simple. That's sinking sand. But back to the point, 
we stand not on what we do for Jesus, right? How we sing, um, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. You know what? Peter said that same thing. And he stood on all that he could do for Jesus. And when persecution came, he was knocked right over. See, what happens when we stand on what we can do? If we do it well, then we think God loves us more. We become self-righteous. We, become, we think we're better than other people. We think we can rebuke Jesus. That's what Peter did to Jesus. But it sets us up for a colossal failure. Why? Because we were, that's sinking sand to stand on what we can do. And if we stand on what we do, in our good days we'll be self-righteous. In our bad days we'll be self-condemning. We say, you know what? I can't, I can't do it. And then when persecution comes, we'll get knocked right over. How can people say, I have decided to follow Jesus? The only way we can say that, the only way we can say that is if we realize and recognize the, 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 the veracity of that second verse. The cross before me. The cross ever before me. What Jesus has done for me ever before me. That's the only way we can say, I have decided to follow Jesus. Because that vision of rapture and beauty and delight is ever before us. It's always about what he has done for us that causes us to stand and say, Therefore... Because you've done that for me, I've decided to follow Jesus. And even if I fail, I run back to the cross, which is ever before me. But that's my motivation. It's my means. What has Jesus done for you and me? He's been the substitute. He is the substitute who did for us what we could not do. He lived the life we could not live. He's the sacrifice. He died the death that we should have died. Saying this is the grace of God. This is the true grace. And one, if you understand it, it will capture and melt your heart so that you say, yeah, I'll follow you wherever you go. This was Peter after the cross. He was, not, he was humbled. He was not putting his faith in his mistakes or of his, his great successes, his triumphs. He fell on the grace of God. And because of that, he could say, you know what? I'll follow you, Jesus. And he was able to go the path because he understood that I'm not standing on what I do for Jesus. That's not what's going to make me strong. In that moment of of persecution, it's not, I can do this. It's thinking about what Christ has done for us, and that's what's going to make us stand. That's what's going to make us say, yeah, because of Christ and his grace, saving grace, sustaining grace, the work of the cross in me, I can stand, come what may. This is the second thing. And then the last thing, the family of faith will give us Strength to stand firm. Starting in verse 12, he starts going off with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. Verse 13, she who's in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. And he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you in Christ. Here's what, again, I know he's been saying it, and I've been saying it, but I've only been saying it throughout this time because he, he's saying it, and I... I have to preach what he says, and I have to preach the nuances that he's preaching. He's saying the same thing that he's been saying from the beginning. He's saying the same thing that he said last week. Isolation will get you killed. You've got a roaring lion. A roaring lion is chasing after you. You're going to die, unless you're a bigger roaring lion, but you're not. But if you've got 50 people, a roaring lion comes, he's probably not going to attack you. Or if he does, he'll get close and then he'll walk away. He's saying isolation is going to get you killed. And I, you know, when, when he talks about this idea of community, of family, of faith, this is difficult for our individualized, westernized ears to hear. It it's, actually can be almost offensive, too. 
But I realize how much of this is, is like we're culturally, so culturally ingrained on an individual mindset that passages that call us into community can be threatening to us. But in cultures where they live in communal-centered cultures, it's, it's a lot easier for them to appropriate and to understand this. But I, I realize this when I, I think about the songs that we sing in, in church. There are not many songs that we sing, American songs, that have been written by Westerners in a context of uh, Christianity that are corporate songs. Right? At best, we sing them together as a corporate body, but they're all individual songs. If you could take everyone else away and you could still sing these songs, it makes sense. The only thing I, could, I was thinking about this, one of the only songs that we could do that with is uh, shake a friend's hand, shake a hand next to you. You can't do that by yourself unless you do like this. Squeeze a friend's knees, nose, uh, whatever it is. Um, but that was like an old, old, old song. There are not many songs like that written in our day, in our culture. But when I hear the Korean congregation, Eastern culture, a lot more uh, communal-oriented, they sing this song, and I was trying to find the words to it, and um, I know that uh, the Middle East House Church, they, they sang this to, to Pastor Albert, or two of them sang it to him um, at their last house church meeting. But it, um, it goes something like, um, you were made uh, to receive love. You're made to be loved, and even now in this place, you're receiving that love. Um, from the beginning of time, the God of love who created this world created you to be loved, and because of our relationship, because of our meeting, because of our being together, you're receiving the love that you were born uh, to receive. They sing the song. You can't sing that song by yourself. So I was in, um, in, in Virginia, my home church, right after I graduated college, and I was up there for a discipleship training uh, class. And I don't know, there's probably about 50 people or 60 people, Korean-speaking and English-speaking. So the great majority, about 80% were Korean-speaking, about 20% of us were English-speaking. And then uh, we would sing these songs of praise and worship. It was like a, a big deal, three-day, four-day thing each week, right? Each week, three or four days for about 12 weeks. And international speakers, most of them speaking English, would come, and they would have a translator who would translate that into Korean for the sake of the Korean-speaking people. And whenever, before the, the, the lecture started, we would always do these songs of praise and would always sing that song. And they would tell us, okay, don't just, um, uh, when we start singing this song, I want you to go and I want you to hold hands with a person. And stare them in the eye and sing this song. You were made to receive love, and even now in this place you're receiving this love. The Westerners of us in there, by about 10, 12 of us, were like, dude, this is a very convenient time for us to need to go to the bathroom. We'd kind of sneak out of there. And we'd walk in thinking that the song was over, and so they would sing this song one verse, and they would switch to another person, men and men, men and women, women and women, all kinds of, whoever it is, but they'd just sing. And I'd walk into the room just like feeling like just weird, like, no, dude, I'm not, no, I'm not singing that song. I might sing it, but I'm not going to hold your hands and look you in the eye and sing, no, this is weird. Especially my mom and dad were in there too, and I thought they would come and find me, and then that would be like super weird. But I walk in, and I look at these people, and half of them are just like bawling. They sing this song to each other. That made me feel even more weird. And then, like, sometimes I'd be in, this is 12 weeks, and they sing this every day, three, four times a week. And so sometimes, invariably, I would get, go in at the wrong time when they're in that transition. And these elderly women would come, David, David. they come up to me, and I'd think, no, <laughs> not me. I'm not doing this. And, uh, and they're, like, so sweet. And, and when I see them, I, like, sometimes I have to do it. I can't, I mean, they're singing this song. 
And I'm like, like kind of like squirming and looking at them. And their eyes are closed. And they're like crying. It's so weird. And at the end of three, four days each weekend, when the lecturer was about to leave, they would bring the lecturer up in front, right, just kind of like I'm doing here, and everyone would stand up, and they would sing this song. It's like, I've always felt like one of the weirdest birthday traditions is when you stand here, and everyone just stares at you and sings to you, and you're like, you're the only one not singing. Like, what are you supposed to do? Awkward, right? But how much more when... All these people, it's not even your birthday. You're standing up here. You just preached your heart out three days, and they're all standing at you. They're staring at you, and they're singing in a language that you don't know. And on top of that, they're all crying. And I think what Peter's saying is awkward as this is. And you've got to know that without the family of faith, you're not going to make it. You need these people to move into your life and to put you in awkward positions, to challenge you out of your comfort zone, to press upon your life, to weep with you, to give you strength, because apart from that, and you're standing in persecution, he lists a couple people, Silas. You guys know Silas, right? He accompanied Paul. On either his first or second missionary journey, I forget which one. And in Philippi, him and Paul were captured. They were thrown into jail and with lock, stock, and barrel around there, just in, 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 in chained, back split open by the whip of the lash, with just gashed open backs and feet chained. They're singing praises to God in the midst of their suffering. And all these people around them are hearing it. And Peter's like, that's my boy. Like, that's Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother. He's helping me write this letter. He's going to be the one who takes it to you. He's like, I got, I got Silas in my corner. Who you got? And he talks about Mark. Mark was a dude, I, I forget which journey, but he deserted Paul when persecution came on that missionary journey. He left Paul, and it, it caused such a disagreement that Paul and Barnabas got into a fight because Barnabas said, dude, I'm going to take Mark. You can't just leave him like that. And Paul said, no, this guy bailed on us, so it's over. And so Paul left. Barnabas took Mark. He restored him. He brought Paul and, and Mark together. And then here's Mark now, faithfully, just like Peter. He had fallen, but he gotten up by grace. And Mark was to Peter what Timothy was to Paul, a disciple, a son in the faith. He says, Mark, my, my son Mark. She who's in Babylon, he's talking about, I mean, short, long story short, he's talking about the church in, in Rome. And he says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Every time you gather, I greet each other with a kiss of love. Some of you are like, yeah, we got to do that again today. No, <laughs> greet each other with a kiss of love in order that you know that whenever you get together as the people of God, it's a community of love. Right? Don't skip out on greeting time. Be here early, be here on time so that you can bless and pour into each other's lives. Let's greet each other with a kiss of love. And I don't know how the story goes, but definitely tradition and history tell us that Peter, as he's writing this letter about persecution at the hands of the persecuting emperor, was about to be crucified on a cross. And he said, I don't deserve to be crucified in the same way as my Savior Jesus, who died for me. So let me be crucified upside down. And maybe, I don't know, maybe at the cross, as Peter hung 
Silas and Mark were there. And Peter, keep going. You open your eyes, you'll see the light of glory. And then the Jesus who restored you on the shores of that sea. You love me more than these. Let's see him face to face. 1555, John Russell, martyred for his faith, burned at the stake in England. That while he was there, his children walked to the, ga- uh, to the stake with him. And with tears streaming down their cheeks, they poured, shouted encouragement to their dad. Be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful, Dad. Don't deny your faith. Maybe these were the guys around the cross, and he's saying, look, this too, this too is grace. Because you see, Jesus, when he was at the cross, he needed the family of faith the most. In fact, the night before, Jesus' group of people that he loved the most, the 12, he had this supper with them, the last supper. And he said to them, you know what? This Repeat this supper every time until uh, I come back. This is what we do in the Holy Communion. We're saying, this is so special to me that as important as this meal is, I'm never going to eat it again until I do it together with you guys. Whenever we go to Ecuador, we eat these ice cream bars called Magnums, and we made a vow to each other. We said, you know what? We'll never eat this again until we are with each other in Ecuador. Someone broke that vow. I'm not going to say who, but someone <laughs> broke that vow. But that's, what, that's, that's the idea. Jesus is saying, look, This meal is so important, but you are so important to me that I'm not going to eat this meal again until we get to the other side in glory. Jesus is saying, this is how much you guys mean to me. And yet when he died at the cross, the 12 that he loved the most, 11 of them had, one had died and the other 10 had scattered, left him alone. Here's the grace of God. Jesus in his moment of greatest need needed the family, but he lost it in order that you and me, in our moment of greatest need, we need the family that we could have it. Jesus, in his moment of greatest need, needed the hand of the Father to rescue him. But the Father let his son's hands go in order that in our time of greatest need, we call out his name. He's there to hold on to us. How will we stand in the midst of a world that is opposed to the life of Christ within us, it's the only way we stand. Stand in the family, but all these things that flow down to us from the nail-scarred hands of Jesus, gifts of scandalous grace, God's riches to us that we don't deserve, that came to us at Christ's expense. He says, stand firm in that. It's the true grace of God. All other ground, sinking sand. Pray together. Let's pray for a, a moment as we, many of us will be starting school soon. Many of us tomorrow will be going back into our work world. Maybe uh, for some reason we have avoided the persecution. And it's not that we're avoiding persecution. At the heart of it is we're avoiding the will of God that might lead to the persecution. But think about all the grace that is ours in the midst of that. Think of all the grace that is ours when we are willing to stand firm for the will of God, even if it leads through persecution. The God of all grace stands behind us to strengthen, renew, make fat, firm and steadfast. When we stand on the true grace of God, he gives us the family around us, that he will raise up people around us to encourage us, to help us 
to give us the strength that we need. So let's pray. Let's just pray for a minute and ask the Lord, help me, God. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to you, standing on the grace of God, the true grace of God, all other ground, sinking sand. But God, help me to stand on you today. Let's pray together for a couple moments and then I'll, I'll close up. Father in heaven, we thank you. We think about our lives, we think about our church here. So many of us can testify to amazing grace. How sweet that sound that saved the wretch like us. And yet so many of us still could sing individually as well as a church and all that we have experienced and all that we've been through through many dangers, toils, snares that the enemy has thrown at us. We have already come by the grace of God. It's grace that's brought us safe thus far and grace will lead us home. God, for each, however old we are, that's the number of years of grace that has been in operation in our lives and even before that. And all those years are a testimony that the God has been faithful to us will continue to be. How would you not? You've been faithful for all these years, not only in our lives, but in thousands of years of human history. If you've been faithful to your word, why would you now all of a sudden fail to be faithful? Capture our hearts in light of the faithful one, in light of the gracious one. May we be faithful. May we be faithful to you. We thank you so much for loving us May you now cause us to love you more deeply as we seek to love you and know you more. Give you our hearts. We give you our devotion. We give you our allegiance. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.